So over the last uh, number of weeks in Ravenhill, we've been making our way through the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel lived between six and 700 years before Jesus. And this morning we've come to the end of the book, to the last few chapters of Daniel. Um, but before we read this morning, I just want to explain a few things about these last three chapters so that it's hopefully uh, a little bit easier uh, to understand. Um, the last three chapters in the book of Daniel are a bit like a sandwich. So in Daniel chapter 10, you have this heavenly vision given to Daniel. Then in chapter 11, there's some stuff about what's going to happen on earth. There's some prophecy um, of earthly events. And then in chapter 12, we're taken back uh, to this heavenly vision once again. So chapter 10 is heaven, chapter 11 is earth, chapter 12 is back to heaven. Now, we're not going to read all of it, um, don't worry, because we'd be here for a while. Um, but what it does mean is that the characters we read about, particularly in chapter 10, are not people even though they have names uh, like people, they're called the like of the Prince of Persia, um, but these are spiritual beings or, or angels. So hopefully that's clear, uh, and if not, hopefully it will be in a minute or two. Let's turn uh, to Daniel uh, chapter 10 and reading from verse 1. This is God's Word. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war, the understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before, we, before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Euphans around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. 
Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Daniel, your prince, and in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now, what follows um, through most of the rest of chapter um, 11 is a prophecy of what's going to happen on the earth um, immediately after Daniel's lifetime. Now, we're not going to read it this morning, and one of the reasons for that is it's very similar to what we read last week in chapter 8, which also is a prophecy about what's going to happen on earth um, after Daniel's death. So, um, we're not going to repeat ourselves, but just jumping on to verse uh, 31 of chapter 11. The king of the north's armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. So we moved into chapter 12 now and back to this heavenly vision and a prophecy about the end time. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but for those who are wise, will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, Go your way till the end, 
you will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do give you thanks for your word. But we come before you this morning recognizing that the words we have read are not easy for us to get our heads around. So we pray that you would come now by your Holy Spirit and speak to us through them. Make them come alive to us. Give our hearts and our minds the understanding of what it is that you would want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure the vast majority of you are familiar with the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from C.S. Lewis's Narnia series. Maybe if you haven't read the book, you've at least watched one of the films. But I think the part of the story that captures the imagination of anybody who reads or watches it is that there's this wonderful, magical world of Narnia, but it's connected to our world. It's connected to our everyday, ordinary world through a simple, uninteresting wardrobe. Both Narnia and the wardrobe are real, but Narnia is this deeper country. But the things that happen there have a profound effect on what happens in our ordinary world on this side of the wardrobe. And I think that's quite a, a helpful way to think about this final section of the book of Daniel. There are these two worlds, really. There's the visible world that we live in, and then there's a heavenly realm where things happen that are, to be honest, quite difficult for us to understand. But Daniel gets a glimpse through the back of the wardrobe. But it's clear that the things that happen in this heavenly realm have a great impact on the events of earth. In fact, the events on earth are, are echoes of what happen in this spiritual world. And what Daniel chapters 10 through to 12 do for us is they give us a glimpse into that spiritual world, both in Daniel's day and right through to the end of time itself. So let's get stuck in with chapter 10. Now remember our rules for doing this, as Marty has told us, we look at the vision, we allow it to stir our emotions because that's what apocalyptic writing is meant to do. We use the Bible to interpret what we can, and probably most importantly of all, especially this week, is that we let the big picture tell the story. We try not to get lost in those small details, but we try to get the big message of what is communicated to us. And I think the big message from chapter 10 is this. Behind every earthly battle is a spiritual one. Behind every earthly battle is a spiritual one. Let's look at what's happening. We can see that Daniel has been fasting and praying before this vision comes to him. He says, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Daniel is fasting. In fact, he's gone the whole hog and isn't using lotions. And while that might seem a bit strange to us, these lotions would have prevented his skin from drying up in the immense heat that he lived in. So he's diligently searching for an answer to something in prayer. What is he praying about? Well, if the answer he, go, if the answer he gets is anything to go by, it seems like he's praying about the future. What's going to happen to God's people? They're stuck here in exile in Babylon. Now the Persians have come along, the Babylonians have gone away, but they're still stuck there. What's going to happen to them? And we read twice in chapter 12 that it's asked, well, when's this going to happen? How long is it going to be? He's praying about the future, and as he comes towards the end of his life, 
He's concerned for God's people. He's concerned about what's going to happen to them. So he fasts and he prays for three weeks. Now, those three weeks are important because when God's messenger gets there, Daniel gets this message. This is what he says. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Those three weeks again. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. Do you see that? There's this earthly reality. Daniel prayed first three weeks ago and he's continued to pray and fast. It's been a real battle for him. And when Daniel prayed, God heard and sent his messenger to give Daniel an answer. But on the way, there's been a spiritual battle going on for three weeks. He's been hindered by the prince of the Persian kingdom, whoever that is. God's people on earth are held physically captive by the Persians, and Daniel is in anguish. And in the heavenly realm, through the wardrobe, this messenger is in battle with some sort of spiritual entity. We don't know exactly who or what that is. But after three weeks, another angel, Michael, comes to help so that this messenger can come to Daniel. This messenger from God has come to explain the future to Daniel. So what are, what are we to make of all this? Well, I think there are four things this morning that we should take from the events in Daniel 10 to 12. And the first is that we should be alert and awake to the fact that there is a spiritual realm beyond what we can see on the earth. Whether we're talking about our own walk with the Lord, our lives, or, or events even on a global scale, we need to be alert and awake to the fact that there is a spiritual realm beyond what we can see. Now, it's important in realizing this that we don't speculate um, on the hints that the Bible gives to us. We simply don't know a lot about these spiritual powers, but we know they exist and we know they lie behind the various human institutions that we see, both good and bad, on earth. Now, that's one of the reasons why, for example, just as an aside, in the Old Testament, all the Israelite soldiers always had to be ceremonially clean before they went into battle. Yes, they were going into a physical battle, that's true, but they had to be spiritually prepared because God was fighting for them in the spiritual realm too. And this isn't just an Old Testament idea. When Jesus came to earth, here's what John the Baptist said about him. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie or sorry, to carry in Matthew. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's a spiritual dimension to this too. And who is it that Jesus is going to throw into the, into the fire? Well, according to Matthew, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the reality of spiritual warfare. It's the Lord and his angels versus the devil and his. And we see this everywhere if we just look. We see it in the world around us. We see war and conflict and hunger. We see laws passed that do not protect the vulnerable and the poor, but make the rich richer. We see life devalued. We see this all the time in our sinful world. But we see it in our personal walk with the Lord too. 
Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think we see this all the time, don't we? When we try to win other souls for Christ, we see the resistance. We see it in our own lives as we struggle against sin. Christian growth is a battle against Satan in our own hearts. Our thoughts and emotions and actions are divided because this war between Satan and God goes on in our own hearts. As we look at Daniel 10 to 12 this morning, the first thing we need to realize is that we should be alert and awake to the fact that there is a spiritual realm beyond what we can see on this earth. And in that realm, there is a battle. But the second thing we see in Daniel 10 is that we can have confidence in the battle. We have confidence in this battle. Daniel is told three times in this chapter to have this confidence. Here's one example from verses 18 to 19. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. As Daniel realizes the reality of what's going on, as he wakens up to the fact that there's a spiritual world out there and a battle going on in it, he's scared. He trembles, he goes deathly pale, he's helpless, he has no strength. But this messenger from God tells him to have strength. Have confidence, Daniel. Why? Why should Daniel have confidence in the middle of all this, and why should we? Well, the clue is in the words that I've highlighted there. You who are highly esteemed. It literally says in Hebrew, do not be afraid, the man, the precious one. Daniel is precious in the sight of God and of his angels. And so are you, if you are one of God's people. You are precious too. You're precious and he knows your name. If you're precious, you're worth fighting for. What the messenger is effectively saying to Daniel is this, don't be afraid, we're fighting for you. You have a role to play here. You need to fight. You need to fast and pray. You need to keep battling against the forces of evil in your own life. You need to know God's word. You need to know his promises. But as you engage in this spiritual battle, we are fighting for you. Paul says something similar in the New Testament back to Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We have to fight too. We have to put on that armor of God. We have to be ready for the battle. But as we do that, God fights for us because we have his armor. It's not our armor, it's his. And just very quickly, what, what is his armor? Well, it's the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Well, Jesus is our righteousness. Our feet are to be fitted with readiness from the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done. The shield of faith, well, our faith is in Jesus Christ. The helmet of salvation, well, our salvation was won by Jesus Christ. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. We can face this spiritual battle because of Jesus because he came to defeat Satan and his angels. We read earlier that one day he'll throw them into the fire of hell. And those who trust in him have a hope of a new world with no more sin, no more pain, no more injustice, perfect 
pure, everlasting life with our Savior Jesus. So we face a spiritual battle, and we need to be awake to that. It's so important as we live in this world as God's people that we do, but it shouldn't scare us because God fights for us. His angels fight for us, and our Lord Jesus Christ has defeated Satan and his angels so that one day we can live in a world not of spiritual warfare, but of perfect peace. The third thing then that we need to realize as we read these chapters is that not only do we face a spiritual battle with confidence, but nothing in this battle will ever take God by surprise. He knows it all. We read at the end of chapter 10 about a book, so he said, that's the messenger, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come, but first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. This book of truth, we don't know maybe exactly what it is, but it seems to show everything that's going to happen in the future between that moment and the end of the world. Now, I don't want, as I've said, to get into the details of Daniel 11 where there's this prophecy because we did look at a lot of it last week. It talks about the king of Persia, the kings of the north and of the south. But I want to say this, this prophecy is so accurate that as I've been reading this week, The vast, vast majority of non-Christian scholars have just said, look, this prophecy is impossible. It must have been written later and added in because there's no way a prophecy could be so accurate before an event. It's just too accurate. But it wasn't added later. God knew exactly what would happen. He knew what would happen with all those kings, whether it's Alexander the Great, Ptolemy, Seleucus, Antiochus, Soter, One of the other reasons is because I struggle to say the name. We're not going to look at them this week. But if you look at the history books, they match up with Daniel 11. So we face a spiritual battle. We face the uncertainty of the future with complete confidence, even when disasters happen, because nothing that happens in history takes God by surprise. Nazi Germany, Stalin, world wars, any other war you want to mention, coronavirus, economic recession, political upheaval, none of it takes God by surprise. And in fact, as horrible as some of those things are, God works out his purposes in them. That's what Daniel is told. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. All events of human history are moving towards the end with purpose. We might not always understand the purpose, but there is one. So we need to be awake to spiritual warfare that's in the world around us and in our lives, but we shouldn't fear it because if we're God's people, then even the angels of heaven fight for us and God himself fights for us. And ultimately, he has defeated our enemies through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And even though present times of suffering may be difficult for us, none of it takes God by surprise. He knows what will happen right through to the end, and he has a purpose in it all. So then, fourthly, these chapters of Daniel teach us that the outcome is secure. Chapter 12 tells us about at the end of the world, and even though we don't have time to go through all the details, we can see that God's people do not need to fear the end of the world. Now, the shift to the end actually happens uh, towards the end of chapter 11, the shift from things that will happen on earth um, after Daniel's life to talking about the end of the world. Here's what it says. It's talking about the king of the north. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation, 
With flattery he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Now, this is talking about an, an historical event um, carried out by Antiochus, who we know he abolished the daily sacrifice in the Jewish temple. It's one of all the things in the, in the chapter which came true. But worse than that, he set up a statue of one of his gods in there. Um, it was the god Baal Shamem. Now, this is a historical event, as I say, but the language that is used here is apocalyptic. Daniel 11 describes the setting up of this idol as the abomination that causes desolation. Now, this is a phrase that Jesus uses in his ministry in Matthew 24. And some people think that in some way it might describe the Antichrist. Now, it might do, um, but we can't know for sure. But what we do know is that standing in God's temple is this false god, and this is representative of all who stand against God in this temple right through to the end of time. That's why the apocalyptic language is used. It's an historical event, but it's an event which is going to be mirrored all the way through to the end of time. So then when it says in chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. Well, that time is the end of the world. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that when the Lord returns, there will be the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel. And that archangel is Michael. It's his voice. We know that this is talking about the end. What happens at the end? Maybe you were here last Sunday night and you know the answer to that question. Well, there's going to be judgment. Verse two, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible teaches very clearly that at the end, all people who have died, no matter who they are, they will rise from the dead for judgment. Some will go to everlasting life, others to hell. This is how Jesus describes it, and um, this isn't on the screen. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I do nothing, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. That's in John chapter five. So Jesus um, understands this. Jesus echoes this in the book of John. Some will go to everlasting life. Others will go to hell. But there's great hope for those who trust in Christ. Daniel says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, this is a metaphor. We probably won't literally be um, as bright as the stars or else none of us would see anything, but we will be in glory forever and ever. Then Daniel is told, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Now, the idea in Hebrew culture of the scroll being uh, rolled up wasn't that the scroll would never be opened again. The idea was that that symbolized the fact that what was in the scroll could not be changed. God knows all that will happen in history, and he knows the end, and this is certain, and his plan will not change. Now remember, Daniel had been fasting and praying about what is going to happen. And the question is asked twice, once by Daniel and once by a man along the banks of the river Tigris, when will this happen? What will the outcome be? And two answers are given. The heavenly figure first of all says this, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. 
Now, this might not seem like much of an answer to us, um, a time, time, and half a time. Well, it seems to be a metaphor for time running out. You have times, then you have one time, and then you have half a time. Time is getting shorter. It's moving towards the end, but we're not told when. So Daniel doesn't understand this, and he follows up. He says, when's it going to happen? And the answer is quite strange again. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. It's strange, first of all, because there are two different numbers given. But a few things here. The word days could be translated as years or even ages, so there isn't actually an attempt here to give an exact time. Remember, this is apocalyptic. This is big picture stuff, and we're not to get tied down in the details. But 1,290 divided by three is 430, which is the exact number of years that Israel was in slavery in Egypt. So this number means that between uh, Antiochus, when this idol was set up, and the end of this world, times for God's people may be tough. This spiritual warfare is going to keep going. Just as the Israelites were in slavery, well, we are going to face this spiritual warfare. It will be significantly longer than the time that Israel was in Egypt, and that has turned out to be true. But again, it's, some, it's symbolic. It's not saying that it will be literally three times as long. It's just saying it will be much, much longer. But what about the second number? Because it's 45 more, it's 1,335. Well, the extra 45 seems to be this. It's, it's the only sort of place we can get it from the Bible. It was 45 years between Caleb going into Canaan, into the promised land as a spy, and him actually entering the promised land at long last. In other words, God's people in this world, this spiritual warfare, it, it's gonna be tough but in the end, we will enter our promised land. I think that's what the numbers mean. So the book ends with an encouragement to go on, to keep going. As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Christian today, keep going. Keep walking with God. Keep going your way, because at the right time, you will enter the promised land. A time is coming when all will rise from their graves and face the master, the judge, the one who has defeated all the evil spiritual forces in this world, Jesus himself. And he will give them their inheritance according to what they have done. We read his words in John 5. The only way to escape this judgment? Well, it's through the master himself, the one who judges. If you're here this morning and you're not one of God's people, then you are in grave danger this morning. But if you will follow Jesus, then you can do this. You can walk on to the end because you can be confident that one day you will enter his new creation, that place of no conflict, spiritual or otherwise, no pain, no sickness, no death, no sin, because he has defeated those things. So we've made it to the end of the book of Daniel. And if you think about it, I actually think it's not hard to see how these last few chapters actually summarize what's been happening through the whole book. The lion's den, the fiery furnace, dreams to be interpreted, the writing on the wall, visions of the future, and heavenly things. 
all of these things surely point to a spiritual battle that's going on out there, even when we can't see it. We need to know that. But we can face it with confidence, as Daniel and his friends did, because the God of angel armies is on our side. He's fighting for us. And in Christ, he has ultimately won the victory against the devil and his angels who stand against us. He's in control of history. Nothing takes him by surprise. And because of that victory won in Christ, we can walk to the end. We can keep going through it all, knowing that one day we will rise and see him face to face and share in that glorious inheritance of eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Father, again, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you for the promises that we find there, that you rule and you reign, that you are with us, that even though there is a spiritual realm out there that we cannot see, even though these battles go on, that you are in control, you're on our side, and you fight for us. Lord, we pray this morning for any here who are facing particular battles at the moment, in their walk with you, in their workplace, in their lives at home. Lord, would you grant them the comfort and the assurance that if they turn to you, they will find all the comfort and peace that they need and that you are fighting for them. And ultimately, whatever we are facing, that all things are moving towards the end when you will restore all things to yourself. We pray too for the world around us. Lord, in this most uncertain of uncertain times. Lord, as we face um, this circuit breaker lockdown, as we um, are restricted again, Lord, we pray for those who are impacted by it most. We pray for those who are struggling mentally and spiritually. We pray for those who struggle financially. Lord, ultimately we pray that this whole event would come to an end. But Lord, we trust that history is in your hands, that everything is written in your book, and so help us to trust in you, in Christ's name. Amen.